Hello and welcome to another episode of Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hi Simon. Hey Simon. On today's episode, we'll be looking back at the Democratic Convention that took place last week, as well as discussing Biden picking Kamala Harris for Vice President, and uh, later in the show we'll be looking ahead to the Republican Convention and all the highly intelligent people who will be speaking at that. Um... Toby, I see you didn't get invited to speak this year. Did you have a falling out with Trump? Um, I think the I'm implicated in the Bannon thing. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Toby. Um, right, okay. So, <laughs> I mean, we could just go off topic on Bannon, but let, let let's try and refocus. Um, the DNC. Um, it was four days off about as much excitement as you can have from you know people speaking about politics via zoom so it, it was you know it was fine um there were some moments which have been picked up in the media um biden being able to talk in full sentences um that uh, charming young stuttering kid who seems to have won over quite a lot of people and we've also had barack obama go on the offensive perhaps in a way that um perhaps we haven't seen before Vaughn, what 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 were your overall impressions of of the last week, and was there anything that in particular struck you about Biden or any of the other speakers? Yeah, for sure. So, my overall impressions were, I don't I don't want to I don't want to compliment the Democrats too much, but I think <laughs> they did a really good job with the convention in making it a a virtual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that is very hard to do just in trying to watch like late night hosts do it and seeing other kind of like academic conferences online and nobody's really done it very well and there's always a technical kind of issue um, and the Democrats normally in everything they do have technical issues but this went off pretty much like very seamlessly um, and I know I was making fun of it a bit before, but the, like, looking around the room like there is an audience, um, I thought that was a cute little touch to to make it feel more like the kind of convention exper- experience that mm-hmm. we are used to. Um, I think they're kind of... They were probably just just pandering bits, I guess, to show people at home um, reacting. And those kind of had technical glitches because some people didn't realize that they were on camera and then started clapping very late. Um, (laughs) Like, there were some uncomfortable moments with that, like, staying on two people for a really long time. But overall, I think think they did a really good job with trying to meet the moment today. Mm -hmm. And with the speeches... um, there were some I, I wasn't crazy about. Um, I I didn't realize until after the convention, I saw Elizabeth Warren doing an interview with Stephen Colbert, and she was just talking about plans again, and her whole speech was, we have plans, and that was her whole 
campaign was we have plans. And I didn't realize until afterwards that not many people actually talked about policy and what is going to happen. They, they mm -hmm. just talked about, like, we have a plan for that. Um, yeah. But Bernie Sanders did talk about it in a couple interviews afterwards. He was laying out actual policies that his campaign worked on with Biden's campaign um, about why he trusts them to actually be listening to Bernie Sanders supporters um, mm -hmm. and their campaign and everything. And yeah, I, I think they probably did a really good job of sidestepping actually naming any policies because they were trying to get a lot more Republican voters. This was definitely geared towards Republican voters, I think, um, in kind of pulling on heartstrings and saying, we understand your struggle without really like laying out that there are plans to cancel student debt and there are plans for a more universal health care system, mm -hmm. uh, things that Republican voters might not necessarily be on board with. Um, One of the things I was actually going to ask was was how you guys felt the overall tone, overall message, and the way they were trying to shape that message for the for, for the public and uh, for the potential voters. Do, do you feel it was a more centrist approach rather than trying to, you know, I mean, it's not like they were waving communist flags or anything, so you know, they they weren't exactly going to the hard left. But do you think it was that sort of center and center right that they were really trying to like focus in on? Yeah, I think that's that's true. I, I think um, the use of Kasich and um, and uh, Colin Powell and mm -hmm. then stuff from McCain, yep. McCain's um, relatives. Yeah, I think um, they they were quite punchy moments. They they tended to come towards the end of the convention, and I th think that they sort of um, emphasized or typified a lot of the sort of points about Joe. Like it, Joe, you know, it's, it, if the the what he was laying out was not hyper political. It's just about Joe's relationships to people, his mm -hmm. empathy towards people in difficult situations, whether it's with their medical bills or whether, you know, some people, cerebral palsy or, you know, people in difficult situations and how Joe, because of his own uh, personal struggles and uh, his, his own relational personal struggles can show empathy and um, can understand people. And uh, I think there was a line in his own speech where he said that my, my father never felt the government should um, sort out my problems, but at least government should understand my problems. And I, th I think there was a, it's really about Joe being someone who could listen and, um, and someone who's a good guy and who has a uh, standing all over the world. And, you know, we, I don't think people should win medals for bipartisanship. Um, there's, there's, it, bipartisanship is good things like that yeah it's it's um it's it's very well done and i think it's the it's 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 always been the brand um the brand power of the uh, joe biden campaign because he really isn't you know like politically like he's you know he's he, compared to other democrats his record is quite conservative mm -hmm. and so and you know you can have Kasich in here i'm, I'm sure they wrangled about the finer points of the the budget in the 90s and i'm, I'm sure mm -hmm. they 
raised fists at each other and things like that. But, you know, afterwards, they, they probably had dinner. You know, the the families probably t- uh, talked to each other. He, he mm-hmm. phoned him when he was um, probably phoned him when he was sick, and um, he was yeah. just just a, a down home good guy, you know. And, and yeah. who can really be against that? That that's really what I got from it. And and I also think um, the point that Vaughn made about it being technically quite good. I also think that in a normal convention, and there's you know there's vast history of conventions. There's um, delegate fights and fights on the floor for different on um, different legislative points, different policy points. But because of the nature of the the COVID disruption and people are doing it remotely, what what the people who constructed the convention can do is they can just select select all of the things that they like and then put them into the narrative of a cohesive movement which wants to follow Joe Biden. Yeah, there's no rancor. Uh, 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 Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, instead of um, coming up or, you know, maybe being placed as the rising star, which would be quite difficult, you know, if she's in the same, you know, episode as Kasich or something like that. Instead, uh, what they can do is they can place her in a group of rising stars or they can place her in a group of, uh, delegates who are trying to endorse different candidates and and so sort of the the ideology the the uh, the ideological edge of the democratic fight is taken out mm-hmm. and you can place a bunch of republicans in there a bunch of talking heads who you don't know but you know just seem like nice guys who, who like joe and yeah, yeah, I, I think that's really what I got from it. And I think it was it, it was it was well well done. And I think it was it was easier for them because they had the ability to select what they wanted. I think one of the things that struck me was it felt kind of insular in in the in the way it was off the moment. You know, we are we are sort of treating this presidency and this election as. You know, we have to stop Trump. We have to fix this immediate issue. We can't even hold a conference or hold hold a a rally correctly because you know the state of America's in right now with um with COVID. I think one of the defining moments probably of the Democratic um conferences over the last well look back to two thousand and four for instance where you see Barack Obama kind of appear as this bright young uh, senator is going to kind of be a, a force in the future and of course by 2018 he is he's president i didn't really get the impression that it was I, maybe there isn't a young young obama to stand up and speak you know i don't think anyone probably feels the way that they did it in 2004 about obama like you know we do now about you know mayor pete or mm-hmm. you know any of the other candidates but it did really feel as if probably because of the, the structure and the way it had to kind of be created because of, because of COVID, but also probably because of the kind of immediate looming threat of Trump. It did feel very much as we were talking less about the kind of Democratic Party and here we are laying out the groundwork for the future and it's very much, isn't Joe just a great guy? You know, people like him. You know, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a solid person. You know, we have to defeat Trump. And if you vote for Biden, you'll have a president again who's kind of competent and that kind of stuff. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what I saw as well. And I would say that if 
um, Ocasio-Cortez comes up, up on the stage at a normal convention for, say, a three-minute speech, mm-hmm. what happens on the floor is people start shouting. And what happens when she endorses uh, Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. as uh, many other people from different states did, mm-hmm. they start shouting Sanders, Sanders, mm-hmm. Sanders. And, um, you know, I mean, depending on the rhythms that the Bernie Sanders delegates want, they can, mm-hmm. you know, use it to show a, a, a sign of force on mm-hmm. the convention floor. So it's a completely different situation and completely like just on the level of event managing, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. And, um, as you say, yeah, yeah it's it, the, the Biden line is really punched hard and punched continuously and, and done done very well. It d- does seem as if we are, at least from the outside, we are seeing a Democratic Party which has kind of rallied around Biden and which is pretty set on, you know, trying to get the message out that kind of regardless of how far left you go in your politics, we do have to try and stop Trump this time around and we can't kind of fall prey to infighting and we do have to kind of come together. Now, obviously there will be people on the far left and even maybe even the center left who just don't like Biden and just won't vote for him. But it Certainly, from the outside, anyway, it does feel as if we've we are seeing a more united Democratic Party this time around. Yeah, most definitely. Um, just kind of looking at the speakers themselves, Vaughn, is there anyone who kind of outside of Biden who we'll touch on in a bit? Is there anyone who kind of really stood out in their their speech or the time they were allotted to uh, to talk? Um. I really liked Obama's speech, Barack Obama's mm-hmm. speech, also Michelle's. I liked both of the Obama's speeches. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Michelle's was much more personal, and I personally find a lot of comfort hearing her voice. <laughs> so it was just a very nice. You know, uh, I saw that on the timeline as well. There was a few people I follow that just like, isn't Michelle great? Isn't she lovely? You know, yeah. and you know, I, I follow British and American people being based. Mm-hmm myself it does and unless you're some sort of raging lunatic or just you know a hardcore republican which sometimes it's hard to tell the difference um mm. there does seem to be sort of a general kind of fondness felt from it for michelle obama i think and just kind of a general warmth sorry you were saying about barack um yeah i just i really enjoyed his speech because like you said earlier we we don't really get a an Obama on the offense mm-hmm. a lot. He's he's normally very careful about his diction, knowing that he like his his voice is something that people listen to. So he's very careful to not directly insult the president, but rather talk about the moment that we're in and what the country needs to do in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he really took the opportunity this time, in my opinion, to really confront um what it means having donald trump in the white house and the the problems that have arisen because of it um and he was much more direct than he's ever been he said at one point um what do you say i i did hope for the sake of our country that donald trump might uh show some interest in taking the job seriously that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care but he never did and 
having something so eloquent um, in opposition to Donald Trump, who probably <laughs> could never write that sentence in his life, nor could his speech writers. Or did you not did, like his? Say did, it. did you not like his speech about sharks? <laughs> wow! I think his speech writers could write it. That, that, you know, they they come from the same pool, but Trump wouldn't want to read it or want to say it, or he'd yeah, yeah, get it wrong. That's that's what I mean. I don't think that he would say that sentence yeah. um, about anyone. I think he would make it his own in a way. And they wouldn't write it for him because they know they know him now. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I exactly. Um, and I I think that that speech really stood out for me. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it was very comforting in the same way. I I'm not a hardcore Obama supporter. Um, I never was, but I do respect him a lot mm -hmm. um and especially his eloquence and his speech delivery they his his rhetoric really gets me um in a way and i also i like that almost everyone who spoke said the word res words respect and dignity at least mm -hmm. once um that that those are things that we're genuinely lacking as americans at the moment mm -hmm. um and and it was yeah i just i really enjoyed his speech bringing that bring that kind of decency into the conversation so i think it's worth comparing the 2020 convention to 2016 obviously hillary was speaking at a normal convention rather than one that was filled with <laughs> the atmosphere of covid and the the zoom calls everywhere um it feels slightly easier having a, a target for the democrats to talk about in a sense that while 2016 had you know Trump as this you know potential nightmare figure or this like grotesque figure he hadn't been president yet obviously and this time around we have four years of Trump and we have four years of horror and we have 2020 especially being truly awful and I think it's an easier job for Biden to mm -hmm. sell himself and sell his own personal kind of message than I think Hillary had in 2016, where we had just had eight years of a Democratic president. Obviously, she's a very polarizing figure herself in a way that Joe Biden isn't. And she's a woman, which just makes her job harder anyway, especially on national politics level. And so normally we, we look at an election and we say that the incumbent president has the advantage because you look at historically, you know, presidents, certainly in recent uh, elections, they tend to win. If they win one term, they tend to win a second, um, apart from George Bush Sr., of course. Um, so in theory, you would look at this as, you know, Trump's incumbent president. He has an advantage. But... Because it's such a unique situation this time around, it does feel as if Trump can kind of be the target and be the focus of, of a united Democratic Party in the way that simply wasn't it wasn't able to happen in 2016 like um like like it is happening now. And I I do wonder if that has that made the selling of this um DNC um in 2020 a lot easier than in 2016 for Hillary, who I do think had a much tougher time trying to, you know, as you say, stand in front of a, 
a, a, a group of Democrats and have, you know, Bernie chanted and, you know, have Bernie as this kind of outline figure in it all. Whereas this time around, I don't know, I got the impression Bernie was kind of not relevant for this um, DNC. I don't know how you, you yeah. feel about that, Bob. Yeah, no, I would agree with everything you just said. I think the bar is so much lower this time mm-hmm. because we it's not speculation. We mm-hmm. know what is happening. Um, and a few of the speeches were like, don't think about kind of what if situations, don't think about speculation, don't think about anything else, just look at the facts. Mm-hmm. And it's not about rhetoric, it's about the facts of the situation. And those facts are that the country is in shambles right now. And like like Obama said, um, Barack Obama said, don't let them take away your power. Don't let them take away your democracy and make a plan for how you're going to vote. And that is such a lower bar than Hillary Clinton ever had to mm-hmm. stand against. Like she she was talking about a future that. In in talking against Trump, she was talking about a future that only she could really conceptualize because mm-hmm. so many people didn't think that it would be this bad and they wouldn't they they couldn't conceive of someone being as selfish and um self-aggrandizing as trump is yeah they they certainly couldn't foresee covid um yeah. happening no one outside of like epidemiologists really had that on their radar i don't think Uh, or or politicians who had been warned and stuff Mm -hmm. but that it yeah it was it was all speculative at the time um and now we're we literally just have to point to the news and say like do you want more of that because if you do then vote for it but if you don't there's there's only one option at the moment um and you have to get behind it and i think Hillary really could have benefited from that Sorry, Toby. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the convention's completely shaped by the COVID moment, really. Yeah. As when you could you could say, oh, um, a thousand people are dying every day, um, unemployment's at like ten percent, and two hundred hundred and seventy thousand people have died, and um, you know the 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 strength of the of the Bernie thing, and I mean, I mean to be honest, it, it, the the convention seems like a closed system in some ways but you know bernie makes a case for working families and people like that but at the end he he, he compares trump to to nero and mm-hmm. to the to the to the times we live in is, is almost like as rome and it's you know it's when rome was falling apart and there's a and there's a sense in that bernie speech that he's complete he's he's very well um, wrapped up in the themes and the and the tone of the whole convention, he's 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 being really used as uh, yeah. I mean, he's just he's he's completely just um, a character like a, an actor and who's being directed as opposed to a, a a political agent with his own agency. And 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 but he makes it really he makes the 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 stakes here really grave like it's it's like this is real we have this threat and we're completely united against uh, against him ocasio-cortez's speech is more i think is more more there and if she carried on there would be more there but I, i think it also shows you that 
you know, um, and and if you looked at the because they and in one of the days, I think it was day two, they went through the different states and how the different states were um, voting, and and just those you you were the thought, you know, in the more sort of northeastern states and the midwestern states, you're getting you know some strong um, Bernie um f- following but then when you get to the states that have more black people in it the states like mississippi um states like georgia you're getting much more sort of um B- uh, biden strength mm-hmm. and delegates are all going to biden and there's a, there's a sense that that noise that 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 between these two warring and they, they said you know the, the two camps of the democratic party all that noise has been sublimated for this convention and they've done it you know i mean can you compare it to say the 1964 republican convention where you know you, you've got the rancor between goldwater and rockefeller and um gold you know rockefeller goes on the podium and people start saying we want barry we want barry we want barry all of that's it's not there it could be there it, it might be there if there was no covid because you know i mean online is you know mm-hmm. or in with in the press we, we we see it all the time you know kamala's a cop um biden wrote the crime bill like they, there's real policy differences that they have you know but biden he won't try to work to legalize marijuana he's still got sort of regressive uh, views on on a, a whole host of different issues they have issues when it comes to medicare for all they have a number of different specific policy issues, but all of that, the fact that we know what Trump is like, um, you know, we've seen what he's like, and but it's being brought to the fore, I think, much more by the COVID experience, much more by the numbers, by the, the laziness, by the indiscretion, and um, by the comparative, the clear and galling comparative failure compared to europe you know like anytime you try to do comparative policy you try to see uh, how is this system compared to this other system how are we doing transfer payments better than another system how's this other system got a better you know corporate policy on a a number of of different issues compared to monopolies and things things like that and you can see we, we see these tables like every week you compare and you just see the american one going up like that and the other one's plateauing it's 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 probably one of the most graphical indictments of the trump administration and because of because all of that exists all of the noise within the democratic party that does exist is completely sublimated for the for the convention i think that that's a really good point toby i think the general point you make around this really being the covid um dnc and i think that is the 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 uniting factor around all this not just because of the the structural difference of how we have to have the convention because as you say we don't have delegates on the floor chanting other people's name but it it falls into again this 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 pattern almost for for biden throughout this year where he's been able to kind of carefully pick and choose how he presents himself and not you know he doesn't have to go out and do a convention the summer in Texas and, you know, have the, the blaring heat to kind of come down on him. He's not having to, you know, have the the DNC where he's, you know, kind of standing in front of thousands of people and hearing 
you know, Bernie Sanders' name being chanted, we are, in a way, this is almost the perfect year for Biden in the sense that he's running against a super unpopular president who it's not just that there's some, you know, policy differences. There's almost like a, a human difference between Trump and everybody else. And then at the same time, you know, he's got the, these terrible failings as far as, you know, now the economy, which was the strongest point, and obviously the the death rate in, in America due to COVID. And Biden can just, you know, he he's he can maybe do the least that any nominated um, Democrat probably has ever done in order to become president, quite possibly, outside of, you know, the the debates that we'll have at, at some point before the election. It, it, it does really feel like it's played into Biden and been, he's been able to kind of hide some of his weaknesses in that sense. Yeah, and it's just not political. Like, Michelle Obama says that, you know, I don't like politics, which is not <laughs> really true, <laughs> you know. <laughs> She's been in politics. She has a podcast. You know, she's political, mm-hmm. right? And she's selling all these books in a in a election year. She's political, but she's I don't like politics. It's you know she talks about the Biden socially. She talks about his record with Barack Obama. He talks about the way he's able to sort of um, just 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 show. America in the in the world and in terms of foreign policy she speaks as just a normal woman who's just um you know like the kind of person that I think women in the suburbs um some of the white women who sort of the white college educated women who voted for Trump last time will be able to um sort of latch on to and will be persuaded by and I and I yeah, I, I, the the Obama, the Obama uh, Barack Obama's speech was different because I think what he was trying to do is he was targeting young people, and um, there were obviously a lot of the anti or the pro Biden support, as polling shows, is is really just opposition to Trump, and then you have the, a group of young people who in the primaries both primaries um 2016 and now have not voted for the establishment candidate at all even the people who would have voted for obama and he obama's talking about you know like people who sort thought our society was bad they had a, they they had a worse society for, for them the promise of america you know um as herbert corley once said the promise of america was not you know it just, just did not live up to itself every day but they didn't stop. They 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 were they were beaten, spat on, and you know I'm 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 trying to convey to you that you that this is about voting. This is about democracy, and you have to. So he's so again, but but it is a specific um, call towards a group of um, democratic voters or potential democratic voters who are different from the group that I think Michelle Obama is trying to speak to. But it, I think it's a, it's a, the activist energy around um, George Floyd, the activist energy around Bernie Sanders, and trying to try to get to people that you might be, you might feel alienated from politics, and and maybe you have some right to. But can you compare yourself to you know, um, you know, John Lewis, for example, who who's a who's a martyr that comes up? You know, I mean all. 
political movements have martyrs. I remember like uh, I, I always forget the 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 Nazi martyr that the the Nazi party always used to. He looks like something <laughs> like Fritz Holtz or something, some some crazy guy. Like in in a Triumph of the Will, they used to go to his uh, tomb and just bow, you know. And 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 you know, it's yeah. John Lewis always comes out, you know, in the same way. He's he's really he's he. The, the the beats are always going back to him. People are framed behind him. In fact, in in the, the beginning of this um of this convention, the the sort of title board, he's there in front of uh, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King's in the background, so it's it's really John Lewis, and John Lewis comes to you know like uh, and I think he has a speech like um you know America is better than it was in 1961, which is obviously true. And we're trying to. This is the way we're trying to get the the progressives. We're not trying to get them on different policy points. We're trying to get them on a sense of you know a, like a sort of a basic negative right towards um, freedom and towards um, like uh, against discrimination and things like that. And and I think that comes across in the Obama speech. But and I think I. I watched um, the majority report with, with Sam Cedar and the the journalists on there did not receive it quite well. I think on and that show with the saga on the hill, it wasn't received well. Um, I think they wanted um, sort of more substantive, you know, policy or, mm. or, or sort of like a push towards whether it's Medicare for all or some other policy points. But it, I think, I think, I almost think like on the race issue, because of the, the what happened with George Floyd, you can knit it together with um, you know some Republicans or just some concerned citizens, and it doesn't. And I think, as Vaughn says, it doesn't seem to be an attack on them because they're not um, the the actual policy solutions to these issues, like um, ending uh, or like uh, defunding the police, things like that. It's not it's not something that comes across throughout the the democratic um convention it's not, it's not people i mean there is a segment where with um i think and i think there's a few people and they were talking about you know defunding the police and i think it was it was up on and talk tucker carlson talked about it but it was it was like a it was like a 30 minute segment you know they they're trying to use the the, uh, the civic sort of push towards just just you know, treating people as they should be treated, and it's in, it's an easy message, and it's a message that Obama can convey to the activist base as well, without um, sort of giving them what they want, or and without alienating Republicans. Um, I think, oh, on you go. Sorry. That's oh, um, So I think, like everything you just said, is really on point, Toby. Um, Obama speaking directly to young people was like a big portion of his speech. Um, and I really loved that he said every other generation before you had to be convinced that all people are of equal worth, but to you it's just a conviction and reality. Um, I thought that was a really beautiful kind of acknowledgement that young people are morally different from most of the generations that have been in power before and that we'll see a lot of progress just from them as people 
let alone as politicians or, or whatever they may be in the future. Um, and with with the the Black Lives Matter and John Lewis, I was just thinking while you were talking, all of them, or well, at least Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and Barack Obama all invoked John Lewis. Um, but Barack Obama was the only one to say Black Lives Matter directly. Kamala Harris said something about uh, how about structural racism and how we need to think about uh, the criminal justice system and police more widely to make it more equitable um, for all people. Those aren't her words, those are mine. Um, and, And then there was like Elizabeth Warren with like BLM in the background of her video, which which is like a cute little Easter egg, but like not really a policy, <laughs> like um, kind of very representative of the Democrats, in my opinion. Um, but I was think I was just thinking while you were talking, how do you think that this would have been different if COVID weren't a thing? Because the the convention was supposed to be in Milwaukee, and they had a lot a lot to say about George Floyd. I think almost everyone referenced it in some way. Um, the, the Black Lives Matter protests, peaceful protesters, George Floyd directly, they had a moment of silence for George Floyd. Um, but do you think it would have been even more about George Floyd if it were in Milwaukee where he lived and died? Or, or do, you think it, do you think it would have been very similar? Because I think they, they kind of played on COVID and Black Lives Matter a lot in this. Um, I, I think that's help. a really good question. I, I don't really have a concrete answer for you, I'm afraid. I think it's hard for me to envision what what politics looks like or anything looks like without mm-hmm. COVID at the moment, to be perfectly honest. I think the whole election run has been shaped around COVID. And I think despite what we personally think about Trump, I think Trump has taken a personal hit because of COVID as well, because of his response and everything else. I'm, I'm struggling to think now of, of what the convention would look like. I, my own thoughts on where the Democratic Party was is that they seemed a bit more united or there seemed... Uh, less of a groundswell for Bernie in 2020 than there was in 2016. That's my own personal thoughts on this. I I feel like Bernie made more of an impact in 2016 than he did in 2020. And I do wonder if... I do wonder if the convention may have been slightly less hostile to Biden than, you know, we think it might have. But... I don't know. The difficulty is that, you know, in, in the sort of february time on january time you you do have bernie sanders actually being very very strong mm-hmm. and that's the, the sort of time you know just before covid had actually he was he was very strong um I, and i think um it wasn't it that it was uh, biden and then you know biden didn't do very well in the first few states and then you have like Jim Clyburn endorsing Biden, and then you have you know people dropping out for Biden, and then 
people starting to endorse Biden and that sort of and it was it was a organizationally it was a like a great coup and it, it probably is going to be studied for like the next 40 years or whatever what what actually happened <laughs> and it, you know it wasn't like it was like some, some people said oh, it was stolen from Bernie Sanders no they 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 came together around a candidate who could be the sort of left-wing candidate and uh, try to push a moderate message in the general election mm-hmm. and they they were very successful and in you know and um but i think that move was received by a lot of bernie supporters in in i think quite a nasty way mm-hmm. they they thought it was you know they have some grievances that it was you know taken from them or the establishment is against them and I think in a and 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 I and I don't think you can remove the George Floyd thing from the COVID thing at all. I think even in his video he met, mentions COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think that I mean this is such a weird counterfactual, but um, if you don't have COVID at all, we don't know what happens with um, George Floyd, or we don't certainly don't know what happens with the explosion of protests especially when people uh sort of a, a lot of sort of low income people and vulnerable people were, were made to work while other people were indoors or you know people were furloughed and then you had this explosion around the whole world of protests um you know i don't know if, if that would have happened i i can imagine that the the bernie and the biden conflict you know especially because you know Bernie, I mean, Bernie never led in the primary in 2016. He led for a while in the primary. And you, some people were saying it's his. You know, Nate Silver in 538 said, you know, Bernie's the most likely candidate to win. You know, everyone's saying, oh, you need to get out of the the race so that, you know, you can get get behind, whether it's Bloomberg or Biden or something like that. And, and um, in a... I always a, thought that was very premature. In a convention in in Milwaukee, it would have been, um, I think it would have been rancorous. I think, I think the, so, I mean, the thing about democratic politics is that in, I mean, almost for for 20 years, you didn't really have wings of the party. You know, you had people like Nader who would run, you know, spoiler campaigns outside of the party. You didn't really have, they weren't two wings of the the, the, that democratic party you know you just had a bunch of boring people (laughs) that some people get behind and i know i know um some people like howard dean for some sort of uh left wing or leftish push but it wasn't that, that stuff wasn't real and then barack obama managed to completely he managed to get the moderates on side he managed to destroy race as a thing at all. Like there isn't, you know, a black America, a white America. It's just the United States of America, and um, and the the left of the party wasn't really that strong. Bernie tried to, you know, think about primering Barack Obama. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But now in t- 2016 and 2020, you actually have wings of the party and they're sustainable wings of the party. Like 35% of the the, the Democratic um, primary electorate will get behind a, a left-wing candidate. And I don't think that's going to stop. Um, and I think the and I think in 2024, there's going to be some more pressure 
on that side. Mm-hmm. So I think that it, it is. It, it, it's, it's a real thing. And in a convention in Milwaukee, without the COVID um, issue, I, I think anything could have happened. Um, not, not anything saying that. I, I think you know Biden would have been nominated, and mm-hmm. and uh, but I think more concessions would have been made on policy. The the things that um, both Bernie and Ocasio Cortez, because um, they were interviewed afterwards, and both of them said, you know, there wasn't enough about you know, workers' rights and mm-hmm. policy um, in the convention. And that was by design. But I think those things would have been, um, they would have been had much more. And, and, and I do agree with you, Simon. I, I, I do think the, the you know, the, the Bernie stuff was premature. I think all, all it needed was for them to drop, drop out of the race and get behind someone. And then the party decided but, you know, I mean, in 2016, if the if Kasich and Ted Cruz and Rubio drops out super early, they could have galvanized behind someone, you know, not Jeb Bush. But I think the Democratic Party certainly learned from that bad experience. I'm still holding out for Jeb Bush 2024, but that's just me. <laughs> um, what, I think that's what a I would... really good point. Sorry. Absolutely. Sorry, I was just going to say, I, I think point that just to elaborate on, on toby's point there in 2016 while, while i do it my own personal thoughts 2016 was perhaps a stronger year for burning in 2020 was maybe because they were able to pull together behind biden i do think you're right toby about this idea of wings of the democratic party and i do think we'll look back on uh bernie in 2016 as kind of a defining moment for the de- democratic party in the sense that there is a genuine feel for a genuine left wing politician and a genuine left-wing base of the party now and i think i think this time around it's a bit different because you know we have trump and we have covid etc etc but i think moving forward i I think we very much could see you know whether it's aoc or whether you know whoever it is who takes up that mantle i I do think we are moving towards that and i think you also just simply have things that can't be ignored anymore you know climate change is only going to get worse you know we have covid now I think really highlighting things like uh, police brutality, and we have the COVID highlighting things like um, the the health um, healthcare system in America, and also you know how people get paid and the kind of ec- economic uh, situation for the working class compared to the billionaires. I, I my own my own feeling is that I think we'll look back on 2016 as somewhat of a really important year, even if Bernie's ultimate success was only to help move the party left rather than actually win an election for himself. But I, I think my, my own thought is that I think Bernie in 2016 was successful in a way which perhaps we underestimate now. Um, sorry, on you go on. Um, yeah, no, I just did, wanted to agree with you. Um, I think a lot of Bernie's legacy is going to be mobilizing a sect of the population that weren't politically active before. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of reinvigorating more hope in what politics can do for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's acknowledged that a lot too. He he said in uh, in either his speech at the DNC or an interview I watched afterwards that um, the the biggest honor of his career has been meeting young people who said. Like, I'm active because of you or like, um, mm. 
I'm interested because of you and what you said. And yeah, like that might be the most important thing that he's ever done, not necessarily his like runs for president or what he could have done, but that he did kind of awaken this this wing of Democrats. Well, mm. this wing of voters um, <laughs> to politics that necessarily have to kind of fall in line with Democrats at the moment. But I do think that in, well, mm, I was going to say, I think that in the next like 30 or 40 years, we'll see a, a third party strength. But I was just telling you guys that um, in my research, I've seen that over or around a third of people consistently identified as independents in the 40s and 50s mm -hmm. um, in the States. And we still only have two parties and they all fell in line with Democrats. So mm -hmm. maybe there won't be, unless there is a very strong left leader who, who could form a third party to rival um, the Republicans and Democrats. That's very optimistic of you to think we'll still I know it is. 30 I'm, to 40 years. I mean, geez. it's going to be. That's why I stopped after I, like, I was about to say it. And then I was like, that's not going to happen. But <laughs> it might. It could. Bernie it could might. have been that, kind of, that yeah. kind of fire for that. We're not ruling out that the human race will survive after 40 years. But, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I was. Gonna, is, sorry, sorry. Bob, when you go. Uh, I was just going to say that that's another point that you guys made that, I mean, climate change isn't going away. We just had a derecho in Iowa that is not being talked about enough mm -hmm. um, that people are still without power. It's been a week or two weeks mm -hmm. um, and they're still without power. And about 50 percent of the crops have been destroyed in Iowa and they're the number one in like corn production and... Yep. Um, they're a huge agri agricultural uh, center and nobody is talking about the fact that they just had this this historic climate disaster that is going to start affecting people in the, in the coming weeks with with whatever the, the harvest is in the autumn. Um, and like that could lead to food shortages and, and even more problems than we already have at the moment. Mm -hmm. and Trump is definitely not, I mean, he's already shown his cards. He is not prepared for any disaster, let alone adding more on top of what we're already experiencing. And I, I think they should have focused on that more. I mean, a few of the speeches talked about how the, like, the climate is a problem we have to confront. But the only way they really talked about it was we're going to be the world leaders on clean energy and we're going to create jobs from helping the climate. But nobody really talked about how or what that looks like or if there's going to be relief for these farmers in Iowa or mm -hmm. anything of that kind of scale. And then California is completely on fire at the moment. Yep. Um, they don't have enough prisoners to help ex tackle exactly. fire. That's, like the, that's that a is, sensible economic situation if ever I heard one. That is one of the most horrific sentences to <laughs> to acknowledge as absolute truth that California doesn't have enough prisoners that they use as free labor mm -hmm. and force to be volunteers, which is not volunteerism. <laughs> that that is 
a number of other words. Uh, And they're they're forcing prisoners into life-threatening situations, which that's not... A lot of them have committed nonviolent crimes. That shouldn't be a life sentence. And they're sick from a pandemic that is also threatening them as a life sentence for whatever crime they committed. Our prison system is absolutely... Oh, oh, I could talk about that for hours. It's a disaster. And it's causing many other sects of our country to be disasters even more than they already are. And a lot of that is also tied to climate change. Like, oh... Don't worry, Vaughn. Once once the Democrats get in charge, there'll be uh, no issues with basic human um, needs. Just ask none people, at all. Just ask the people of Flint, Michigan. Um, oh, that was one of my biggest pet peeves. Is I think one of them said it. I think it was Joe Biden said in his speech that um, we need clean pipes for clean water to every area <laughs> of the country. And I was like, you. Mm, mm. Yeah. Like. If only there'd been a democratic precedent when that happened. Yeah. Only. Okay, so I think we should probably just wrap it up on the DNC side. Uh, Vaughn or Toby, do you you have 30 seconds just to kind of sum up your thoughts on how Biden did? Very quickly. Um, I thought thought Biden Biden did uh, very well. I thought his speech was was really good. It, um, It was able to sort of get across what his message was, how how he felt, and the the the, the sort of the rhythms was, was very good. I think many people have said that it's one of um, Biden's best speeches of all time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I I, I, I re- really feel that he and and I think it the whole convention is able to reiterate this um, time and time again. This is a a decent guy who will bring dignity and will um, you know he'll, yeah common sense he, he won't embarrass us in front of uh foreign leaders mm-hmm. you know he won't he won't um sort of wink at putin when he <laughs> sends people to cut off american soldiers heads you know like yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought it was, i thought it was incredibly well chore- choreographed and it, it, it did what it said it was going to do and yep. um the, the Democrats are a little bit lucky to be able to have it, in my opinion, you know, to have people, um, you know, doing it remotely to be able to select, um, you know, the, the, the images at the right times, you know, beyond the way that uh, the convention would be managed. And, um, yeah, I think they're very lucky to have it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, I thought it was really good. Vaughn, your thoughts just quickly. Um, I agree. I thought it was a really good speech. As I just got very angry about, there were a couple things that enraged me about it um, because he did have the opportunity years ago to fix some of the things he talked about. Mm -hmm. But, well, in a bubble, I say that there were still uh, obstacles in the House and Senate. But anyway, he he his speech writers are fantastic. Um, I thought it was one of his best speeches. I'm one of those people, Toby. Um, I think he kind of hit a bunch of buzzwords for, like, Sanders voters. He, he said wealthiest 1% a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought up FDR and the New Deal in the first two minutes, which was <laughs> smart. He uh, quoted 
civil rights leaders and Seamus Heaney. And he really kind of hit every demographic, I think, in in his speech with either the references he made or just saying, like, we need labor unions because they gave you the weekend. Like, he didn't say that, but that's essentially what he was saying. Um, and yeah, I think I think they used a lot of really smart rhetoric in it, um, in weaving words from either the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or very famous kind of American value documents um, into his speech and saying, mm -hmm. like, we'll restore the promise of America that was made to every citizen, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a good speech. My own thoughts was that it was really underwhelming and there wasn't nearly enough talk about sharks. So um, <laughs> I think I think you really failed. All right. OK, we should probably move on to. Um, the vice president herself who did speak at the dnc event and of course we haven't done a podcast since um kamara harris has been chosen as the the candidate for vice president um toby just do you have any initial thoughts on the harris pick and what what it might say about both the the, the democratic party moving forward as far as a, a potential president for 2024 um yeah i think my thoughts on the harris pick are that it it is odd that you know I mean I think part of this is the Bernie Sanders thing that someone like Harris who basically has one of the most liberal records in the Senate far more liberal than the average uh, Democratic senator um, liberal on a number a number of key issues is seen as a you know a moderate pick and um, mm -hmm. even in the what, CNN and um, in NPR, she's you know people have referred to her as a uh, moderate, and um, I think it's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and and, and I do, I, I think I think the thing about Kamala Harris, and I think as many people have noted about her, and some conservatives know about her as one of the p positives, is that she does seem to be a chameleon, mm -hmm. you know, in a in a difficult. Um, yeah, um, sort of a California legislative um, sort of judiciary position. She's, you know, a hard-edged cop, basically. You know, someone who's able to get, you know, people who are vulnerable and difficult situations and tell their parents that they should be locked up because, um, you know, they failed to bring their children to school, you know, despite, you know, any sort of issues they might be having and yeah I, I think it's 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 really incredible actually that that um that she has been able to dodge that in her career and sort of emerge as uh, someone with such a great um the liberal record in the senate but it also shows you that she's just she's she's a bit of a shapeshifter she's someone given the right context can you know be be on your side um and and i guess it's it's in it we see as someone who's like very political in that way i think there's other politicians joe biden included who probably have much more um, legitimate personal convictions i think or whether it's on marijuana and even on crime in the in the 1990s i think um biden believes a lot of the things that he's done and, and been involved in and i think with kamala 
no one really knows what she believes. I think it's 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 quite telling that um, Silicon Valley has reacted quite positively to her being picked, and it's quite telling that Wall Street has reacted quite positively. But it's also telling that um, the biggest Democratic donors have reacted positively. And what we know about biggest Democratic donors is that they're more left-wing than the population. I mean, the, the small donors tend to be sort of, you know, people who want um, Democrats to push on specific issues in specific states. But the, the, the big donors tend to be more liberal, and, they, and they're quite happy with Kamala. I think there were some other picks, you know, that um, I think Bass, for example, had some issues with um, going to Cuba and, and saying, you know, good things about Castro. And, and I think that it's, it, what is clear is that in that pool, there were some more left-wing people and some people who, if uh, Biden had picked, might have been a drag on the candidacy um, and might have been, and the, the conservative media might have been able to say um, things like that and then bring that up in, in adverts and things like that. But with, with, with Kamala, there's very little that they can actually hit her, her on and then she's and i think in the base of the democratic party she's very very popular but i guess on there's there's a sort of different side where she's not so popular i mean she's she wasn't able to get um that much support in the in the primary mm-hmm. even though she had those great moments against biden and the, the debates uh, on on the issue of uh, biden supporting sort of anti-busing and I think that she and I think it's been said by other people but it's it it, it I think it, it should be reiterated here because it's true like young uh, relatively successful women sort of lawyers and management consultants very you know it's those kind of people very happy to see um Kamala Harris but I think some of the sort of the the Latino vote, voters who got around Bernie Sanders, some people who feel that um, the current um, sort of uh, political economy that we have isn't working for them. Those kinds of people, they aren't as interested in Kamala Harris. And um, so I think for me, it's clear that she isn't really a left candidate uh, and um and i think in on terms of process she's like biden because she shares the same sort of legislative instincts she's she's much more about the process than sort of activists mm-hmm. and um so and i think and to be honest I, I think she shares that with um elizabeth warren as well i think elizabeth warren was always critical of Bernie because she just didn't think he was a very good legislator. She didn't think he could plan policy, both politically and um, in terms of uh, policy detail, that you could get through the, the, the House and the Senate. And I think um, a, a politician like Kamala Harris is much more focused on process. But there's a lot of people who are interested in Bernie for many different reasons. And I, I, can, I can see that they they wouldn't be interested in a in a candidate like Kamala Harris. So for me, she 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 brings home the the base of the Democratic Party, the people who 
um, donate to the Democratic Party and uh, some of the activists of the Democratic Party in the middle of the Democratic Party, which I, which is a lot like, um, you know, like Eva Longoria, you know, it's a sort of successful mm-hmm. young uh, woman who has empathy and wants to help the community, but does not necessarily feel shut out of establishment institutions. Uh, Vaughn, your, your thoughts on the Harris pick, and do you think it will, and kind of following on from that, do you think it will actually have any sway in how this election goes? Um, yeah, so I've been on the fence about this since it was announced. Um, I was happy he finally announced, but I, I'm not all about Kamala Harris. Um, I think she as a person is very cool and I think she brings some of that, um, that just kind of humanness that like Obama had of, of like a cool person that I would want to hang out with. She's um, a little hammy though, isn't she? Like she plays it up a little too much. Like that <laughs> smile, it's just, I remember that thing where she's like with those children and she's dancing and it's like, ugh. Like you just it's too much. Like, I think that may like, say more about you, Toby, than it she's does like, about. No, she's Harris. like Booker, because Obama, Obama was, he was cooler. You know, like he was cooler. Yeah, but I think she's, like I um, for example, I think like when she's asked questions, she'll just laugh, and um, I think in the in the debates, um, you know, when she was talking to, to Biden, she was asked a, a question on something. And just to reiterate why it was right, she she just laughed and she smiled. And, and I think someone like Obama would have been, he would have just said something funny or noticed the irony in it. So for me, she's a more plastic politician than, mm-hmm. than Obama was. I think she, she's trying to be Obama in many ways. And I think in some ways, like, I'm more hopeful with her than uh, with Obama on a, on a number of issues, because I do think that she she is as left as the Senate gets. And she will, will actually, you know, I mean, if 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 Kamala Harris does not uh, push through policies that um, people on the left uh, are happy with, then there's going to be even much there's going to be much more rancor politically between the two wings but i think she's as left institutionally as you can get i think she's right there with with warren um but i think as a politician i don't know she she is more plastic than i think obama was so sorry sorry to interrupt you on on that it's just like i i take your point um i I do get that. I mean, I'm personally, I'm more left than Kamala Harris, so I see her as right to me. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, that's, that's broken the hearts of Toby and I. I, have to say. I know. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> in an ideal world, I'd be a libertarian. Oh. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> it'd, like it'd be a left libertarian like Chomsky, wouldn't it? <laughs> Um, no, anyway, um, Kamala Harris, I, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I don't think that 
see, I do see her as more moderate um, in a kind of global politics spectrum perspective, not necessarily yeah, the U.S. one. Um, I think she is more moderate and that says more to U.S. politics than anything. But I, like, at her speech at the DNC, I liked that she she talked a lot about family um, and that family isn't just people who are related to you, it's people that you choose and that, like, she'll put homework first and the church first or, like, well... She she talked about how that was a very important part of her childhood, and I think she used a lot of kind of homely aspects that we would attribute towards women more um, in her speech, which I wasn't a fan of necessarily. It it felt very, it felt like it was written by a lawyer who was trying to appeal to family voters. Um, and I wasn't crazy about that. But I did like that she said that her kids call her Mamala. Because that's adorable. You know? Um, so she has, like, some likable qualities as a person for me. But I don't think that she's my favorite politician. Um, that said, I think she'll... I think she'll sway it for a few people. Um, maybe not massive swaths of the voting base that they would have hoped with announcing the VP, VP mm -hmm. pick, but some of the criticisms that she's gotten so far are, are very telling of Republicans or just citizens um, who, who are undecided. Like there's been a lot of criticism that this is the first democratic ticket that hasn't had an Ivy league uh, candidate in a long time, but she's, she went to um, a historically black college and university in HBCU uh, at Howard, I think. So that kind of represents that there is a new sect of people that are being acknowledged in this ticket, which I think is very cool and will attract some people um, in doing so. But I don't think that it will be a massive, like, oh, I'm going to vote for Biden and Kamala Harris now um, because she is the VP pick. But at the same time, I think this was a really important VP pick because a lot of people, myself included, are very concerned about Joe Biden living through his presidency. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people are seeing Kamala Harris as a potential president much more than we ever view the vice presidential pick mm -hmm. in, in recent or yeah, in recent elections. I think that that's a really good point. I think for me, I think Harris is the perfect sort of balanced candidate. Mm -hmm. Someone who has some liberal credentials in the fact that she has a more liberal voting record in, on, on the Senate than you know, a lot of other centers, even if we don't consider her a, a genuine sort of left winger in, in the way we do with with Warren or, or Biden, I think she balances out the idea that the, the Democrats are going after the, the sort of the never Trump, the, you know, the Republican sort of centralist, the, the, the uh, Lincoln Project type of people who are not going to be scared off by having Harris. And I think that that I think that's quite important in the sense that can you imagine what the 
sort of centrists, the the Lincoln Project people would say if Warren or heaven forbid Bernie became the vice president, you know, it it, it, it it's a far difficult, far more difficult thing to sell it uh alternative to Trump if the alternative actually is, you know, socialism or something like that, which does just scare the living bejesus out of people. And as you say, I think also balances the idea that Harris isn't old, you know, she's not a young politician, but she is considerably younger than Biden. And if, you know, many of us don't think Biden, well, if he gets through his full term, I would be surprised if Biden successfully runs again in four years time. Um, And I think, as you say, if he doesn't get through his term, Harris, I think, is much more, much better placed to be a stand in for a president than perhaps some of the other choices might have been um and i think i think overall it's a it's a candidate who ticks a lot of boxes rather than you know sometimes they they talk about picking a vice president as someone who you want to work with for four years and someone who always have your back and this kind of stuff i feel that they not saying that harris doesn't have biden's back but i don't necessarily get that that's the reason they went for harris i have a feeling they could have maybe found someone who is maybe a little bit more in, in sync and maybe less kind of um, plotting in the sense that I think Harris is very determined to become president. I think it's it's kind of clear that, you know, she is, as Toby said, you know, she is someone who will move about politically as she needs to do in order to, you know, survive. And she will maybe push a slightly more left version of, of what the current politics is, but she's not going to radically change how politics and how America is. And I don't think we'll see... You know, I don't think we'll see every police force in America disbanded as a result of a Harris presidency. And I don't think we'll have, you know, student debt completely wiped out as a as a, as a factor in, in a Harris presidency. Um, right. I, sorry, Bonnie, were you going to say anything or were you just, yeah. just agreeing with me? I mean, I am I am agreeing with you, but I do want to clarify mm-hmm. my stance on it. Um, that what I said is my like very personal kind of perception of it. I do think that she was a smart choice for Biden. I do think that she is a very safe middle road kind of choice for the VP. Um, I think it was smart of of Biden and the Democrats more widely to bring her on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will be voting for Biden and Kamala Harris. Wow, uh, you heard it. You heard it. You, oh, I can't believe you've been voting for them. I know, right? Uh, a registered Republican has turned and gone to the Democratic side. It's okay, don't out me like that. Okay. <laughs> 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 that is specifically because of my state and how it is run uh, for the primaries. That I was a registered Republican, but I no longer am. And I feel I'm, just as dirty being a Democrat. But I would just, just like to say that Vaughn is able to live the dream that Toby and I can only dream about and that is to actually vote for republicans toby can you <laughs> can you imagine the rush we'd get being able to vote in republican primaries i mean oh. the vicarious thrill i'm getting right now it didn't feel great but I did. actually it did feel great the one that i did vote in because i voted against trump and that was the point of being registered republican I, I think it's better that it didn't feel great because it's dirtier isn't it it's like oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I yeah. I just I wanted to clarify that point because, um, as I said, I am more left than than you guys um, and Kamala Harris, and um, on our site 
we have my my views on this election. Um, so if you're interested in that, you should go to our website um, and and have a read through why I think it's important to vote for Biden and Harris, despite any kind of personal political positions about either one. That, that, that's a really good point. Um, the website impressionsamerica.com is out there. It is available. Um, you can either just find it yourself or you can find the link on our Twitter account. As well as Vaughn's excellent point about uh, voting for uh, Biden, even if you are, you know, a communist like like Vaughn, um, <laughs> I think uh, that that's a really useful piece. And there's also a really useful piece that Vaughn managed to pull together, which has been shared a bit as well, to do mm-hmm. with all the the voting options in each each state. I found it a bit surprising that she just said vote for Trump for every state, but you know that <laughs> that's Vaughn's own political. No, there is actually some genuinely great information and well-researched stuff um so as you'd expect from Vaughn very well researched um do we have any more points on Harris other than the fact that apparently she's not as left-leaning as Vaughn Toby were you aware of this that Harris (laughs) isn't as left-leaning as Vaughn I think I had an inkling that (laughs) (laughs) but I would also say about Harris is that I don't know if she's gonna expand I don't I don't I, you know, usually, actually, um, the candidates pick someone who's right of them. Um, you know, with, in the in the like, even Obama, he picked someone who's right of them. But I, th- I don't think she's going to really expand the base. I think um, Whitmore and Klobuchar were probably slightly better for that. I, I and I, I do take the point you said, Vaughn, about you know, coming from a HBCU. You know, she's. She's credentialed, but she's not, you know, like uh, a Harvard aristocrat or anything like that. Um, and um, she does, and she's, you know, from an immigrant background, so she does uh, reflect this sort of social mobility that, you, that you're trying to, the Dem- Democrats are trying to push. And I think a lot of the kinds of people who are like her, and I think there's a lot of people who are like her make up the base of the democratic party we we'd be quite happy about that but it, it isn't you know it isn't trying to push through to the bernie voters and isn't really trying to push through to sort of working class whites in um in states that are narrow and and you know you could say it's good for the for the suburbs but i mean i for me it, it's really about locking down the base in a way that holds and i and i think she i think she does hold but he could have gone um with someone who who did expand the base and i don't think he he's done that possibly probably because as you guys have um reiterated it's she's he's probably looking to the succession more than the election itself with this with this pick I think that's a an interesting point um i think we should probably move on to the last topic which is the <laughs> the uh i was going to say something rude there the exciting rnc which is going to be happening soon with donald trump and the um interesting list of republicans who will be speaking i think a quarter of the people speaking there are actually related to donald trump which i think <laughs> pretty much tells you all you need to know um <laughs> Another interesting week for Trump, along with everything else he's doing. There have been a couple of audio link, uh, audio leaks. Um, one, 
which uh, apparently came out, which said um, he was delighted that there was such a, a low turnout in black voters last time around. No shit. And um, also that um, his there was a leak that his sister had basically said that you can't trust Donald Trump and that he has no principles and morals. Again, not a huge surprise. Um, <laughs> Vaughn, uh, is there... I was going to ask you what what you think the Republican um, conference or uh, conference could look like. It's it's I imagine it's going to be a lot of Donald Trump talking about you know his religious things and you know the things he's done for this country. Um, yeah. What what do you think the RNC is going to look like over the the, the the kind of the week? Are we going to see anything that unexpected, or is it going to hit the key points that you know Trump will? continue to bring his Christian values to play for America? Um, I think that one of the things I've learned over the last four years is that Donald Trump can still surprise me. Um, and I, I don't really know what to expect for the RNC. Um, I know there's there's that kid who had the, the stare down with Native Americans in oh. D.C., I know that kid's gonna be there for some reason. Is he, or is that was that a spoof? Because I'm not sure. Because I I first read that and then I saw someone else saying that that was actually just a joke. So, so I I've, I've seen both things that it is a joke and that it is very serious. Um, <laughs> so I'm genuinely not sure. So that adds to the kind of suspense of it that I don't know what's coming. Um, and like the my pillow guy or something is gonna. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's like it is a list that has been circulating. I know Kid Rock is going to be there. Of course. Which, I mean, if you don't, if that doesn't sway you. <laughs> uh, but, like, like even this week, with, with those things that you mentioned, and then also his, like, blanket call for a boycott of Goodyear tires. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing, my guy? You're, that's <laughs> insane. Just because they said, like, no MAGA hats at their yeah. company training... He's like, we should boycott Goodyear. And they make up, like, they're, they're one of the biggest manufacturers of tires in the U.S. And mm-hmm. also a key job market in, I think, Ohio. Ohio, yeah. Yeah. And he he just, like, zero research, none at all, about whether this was a good idea or a bad idea to mm-hmm. that it would affect the economy. No research onto whether his own limo uses Goodyear tires. <laughs> And he just called for this blanket boycott um, that's negatively going to affect a lot of American citizens. In so, like, yeah, I don't, I don't have any expectations. I feel like he's going to. My, my only expectation is that he's going to riff off of um, the support that the, that the DNC saw and a lot of the positivity from it. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking earlier about whether he has the scruples to make fun of a child with a stutter, mm-hmm. and I don't believe he does, so we might see some of that. It could genuinely be anything, um, and I don't think it will... Um, I think it will have a very unified front like the DNC did, Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that will be coming from Republicans. I think it will be coming from Trump dynasty family members, uh, much more than kind of party support. 
I hear there's a casting call out for a black kid in a wheelchair to wear a MAGA hat at the event. But... Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But, I, I mean, it, it wouldn't be a surprise. I uh, mean, so... like, you say you're joking, but we don't know that that's we don't not know. true. And I wouldn't put it past them, so... Toby, this is probably the biggest event of the four years for you. This is like four Christmases rolled into one. Uh, how, how much are you looking forward to the RNC? Well, I am really looking forward to the <laughs> RNC. I don't, I don't know much about what's possibly going to happen. I think that it's interesting that Trump tried to have it as a, as a normal convention um, without any sort of COVID precautions. I think that's, I think it's crazy. Mm-hmm. that he did that but it's it's sort of um it just illustrates his laziness and um these obnoxiousness on, on this point but i also think that actually a lot of you know don't tr- tread on me conservatives would be very happy to to have that and i think they they would show out in force and i do think that actually the republicans might benefit from not taking the democrats approach to this mm-hmm. i think um if they do you know if they if they do like um have one meter or two meters apart at the convention and have people there make it look like there's enthusiasm for him there's actual enthusiasm on the floor um it, it will be um, sort of just performatively different from the Democrats' convention. And it's not like there's any nuance there. It's not like Ted Cruz is going to come and try to steal the nomination or something like that, you know. Um, all of those kinds of uh, people have been beaten and sort of bent to Trump's will. And, you know, the people who've been against Trump have been against Trump basically for the, the whole of the four, the four years. You know, rule in the the you know a tiny car they put the Lincoln project in, right? So yeah, I think a different kind of convention is actually a a, a good idea. I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that I will see that. I mean, it wouldn't be good for the health of the people there, but I I do think that um it, yeah I think structurally it might it might be a good idea to to do something like that just to show that you know we're free you know we're you know we'll, we'll do anything. Don't tread on me. And guys in MAGA hats, if that if that kid is there, that'd be good. If the <laughs> if the family who were outside the the mansion pointing guns, yeah, at the couple, there, yeah. Oh god, if, yeah. Then. If they're actually there with guns, that would be good as well. <laughs> oh god, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it is easy to forget just how many characters have appeared in the TV show, which is twenty twenty. And how the writers are doing such a good job of just weaving them in and out as you kind of wouldn't expect, you know? Yeah, and it is crazy because, I mean, I, was like, I guess 2016 was just mad. It was mad. It was written really well. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I, by the end of it, I was like, oh, to live an interesting time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everyone was just so sad. It's not such a high. Obviously, it was bad, but, you know. Yeah. But then 2020 has almost been like, it's been it's like it's like the Cohen brothers. It's like uh, just absurd. Like <laughs> things just happen. You can't predict. Like no. at least in twenty sixteen, you know, when Trump was um, you know, calling people names and winning you could say, Okay, he's he's got momentum, 
uh, there's no one really here who could beat him. If they if they galvanize around one candidate, maybe they could beat him, and they didn't beat him. And there's, there was always momentum. But 2020, like, you know, when you said at the beginning of this year that tr- that um, you thought Trump was going to win, I thought it was a coin toss. I felt that Biden would win, but I knew I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But with 2020, the stuff that's just happened, it's just yeah. like shit just happened. <laughs> and there's no narrative um, no. sort of structure. It's it's people are appearing out of toilets. It's <laughs> crazy. It's the you know there's the, the, the there's a guy and um he and he's uh you know there's like there's been loads of these kinds of videos with the police, but then it just creates this storm that engulfs a lot of the young people who are all you know in in sort of unemployed or in precarious positions. And, and and you can't really predict the things that I I mean for me I wonder if there isn't like a twist in the tale you know like mm-hmm. something that we're not expecting something Chris crazy Christie twenty twenty here we that, go that just happens that changes everything and I and, and the people are saying I mean Nate Silver and them is saying that you know um, there's a if the, if the election was tomorrow there's a ninety percent chance that Joe Biden would win. Mm-hmm. It's seventy thirty because we can't actually. There's just there's just so much noise and something so much we can't predict over mm-hmm. this long period of time. So it is seventy thirty right now, and like who knows what's gonna happen? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I gave up <laughs> stuff. My personal thoughts is that I think I don't count out the fact that Trump could win or not. Trump might not lose because of fraud or because people can't vote or because he just, I don't know, cancelled the election. or I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it will be, but I, I'm not 100% convinced there will be a fair election come November. And even if there is, I'm not 100% convinced there will be a peaceful transition of power, which yeah. in itself is crazy. But 2020 is crazy. I mean, there's going to be two tropical storms hitting America at the same time for like the first time ever, you know. Yeah. Remember the other month where there was like killer hornets and they appeared for like one day and then they just weren't interesting enough, so we just dropped it as a news item. I mean, it's just I I, I don't know how to keep up with this year, and I think trying to project anything, especially on the po- political side of things, I think it's just impossible, as you say, Toby. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can simply say what's going to happen in November when we don't really know what's going to happen next week with Trump or you know his administration. Um, I I. I, I I don't know how much more support Trump can get than he does have right now. I mean, there's always talk about, you know, swing voters and all this kind of stuff. We know the hardcore Trumpers are going to stick with Trump. And we know people on the left and people who have sort of used to be Republicans, you know, who have very, as you say, Toby, have already come out. You know, we know they're not going to vote for Trump. I don't know how many, I don't know how much... How much voter? How many voters there are left to win on either side of this? I almost feel it's who's just going to turn up now on the actual election day, rather than actually have their minds changed on all of this. I could be wrong. Perhaps there is still a huge number of swing voters still to um, still to make up their decision, but it seems pretty clear cut this time. I don't know your thoughts on that, Bob. Um, no, I. I... I don't think many more people will be swayed. Either they're voting for Trump or they're voting for Biden, or there are some people who are still voting for Sanders, going to write him in. 
Um, but as you say, it will come down to who shows up to vote. And I, I just want to underline the point that it's not just who shows up on election day. Most states, almost every state offers early voting, which is mm -hmm. what is um, explained in the, the piece that you were talking about earlier on the website. Um, you can vote early in person, you can vote by mail, you can drop off your mail ballots at the voting station in most states up to three weeks before the election. So if you can't make it on Tuesday, the 3rd of November, then you you can try to make it work in the three weeks leading up to it. There are safe ways to vote um, and it is still your responsibility to vote as a citizen. Is what I would add to that. Yep, um, I think that's a very fair comment. Um, do you guys have anything more to add to the RNZ? I know it's kind of hard to predict what the hell's going to happen. Um, I guess we'll just see how things play out. I, Vaughn, before we do go, um, I did promise you a couple of minutes or half an hour <laughs> to rant on a topic of your choice. So um, is there anything before we let Vaughn sort of down her wine and get on with her ranting? Is there anything else we'd like to add about the RNC? I'll finish my wine as you're talking. Go for it. Okay. Uh, Toby, do you think we will have any genuine surprises politically kind of coming out of the RNC? Like if you were to place a bet now, do you think there'll be anything of any significant note or do you think it'll just be kind of more bluster and noise than anything else? No, I think it'll be bluster and noise. It's going to be a procession. I think there isn't, I think the interesting thing is that, you know, when Lyndon Johnson ran those campaign ads against Goldwater, so there was like, um, all these, you know, he was like, oh, Scranton said this about Goldwater and Rockefeller said this about Goldwater. And that stuff really hit people because people were less polarized and they, you know, they, they gen genuinely liked Johnson. But all the Republicans who spoken at the DNC, like Colin Powell and um, Kasich, and mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're not, I don't think they're going to have an effect on actual Republicans. <laughs> They're going to have a effect on sort of swing voters or voters who were swayed by by Joe's dignity. It's not going to. It's not really going to. It's not going to scare anyone who's actually a Republican. And I think mm -hmm. all of those, all the types of people um, who who would support Joe, Joe are in the you know the Lincoln Project. The RNC is just is for me. It's just going to be. Uh, I don't know how well it's going to go, or um, if they're going to have technical issues. Which I mean, there's a whole there's a big chance of technical issues. But I, I would say that I don't think there's going to be any surprises there at all. I mean, may, I mean, it wouldn't be a good idea to have Kanye there if, <laughs> if he's thinking of going. And I also think that. What thing could have been a twist in the tale, really? And Vaughn should probably have written Kanye an article about you know trying to get get yourself on the ballot in fifty <laughs> states. I think that would have been quite helpful for for the for Trump as well. I think um, if they had got Kanye on the ballot and he had seemed much more sane that he, than he has <laughs> come through, then. You know that could have been a a, a lot last minute surprise, but you know with, with his organizational failures and um, his seeming lack of enough um, mental health, it mm -hmm. doesn't yeah it doesn't seem like there's going to be any twists when it comes to a third party 
candidacy as as yeah. things stand right now. So yeah, I, I yeah. Um, no major surprises other yeah. than no, yeah, definitely Oscar. no major surprises. Like yeah, I would say. Okay. Well, I think that nicely sets up the last five minutes for Vaughn. I don't know what you're going to talk about, so this is could be as much a surprise to me as it is to you, uh, listeners. Um, Vaughn, please rant about whatever you'd like. Right. So, so first of all, what I want to say is that my favorite conspiracy theory about the RNC is around the fact that they haven't named Trump as their formal nomination <laughs> yet, and that um, some people either jokingly or seriously have said like what if they put up Mitt Romney as the nominee <laughs> and I love that um anyway uh so what I wanted to rant about is probably not surprising to you because I talk about it constantly is people um who are saying that they're not going to vote at all because they don't like Joe Biden and mm. I cannot stand that stance because you're not just voting for Joe Biden if you were voting in the presidential, you were also vi voting for his cabinet picks and for his potential justice pick when Ruth Bader Ginsburg either retires or passes away. And as was underscored in most of the speeches um, at the DNC, you're, you're voting for democracy um, to kind of live on in whatever way it does in the U.S., because there's a genuine threat to our democracy and you're even voting for the longevity of the post office which shouldn't be a polarizing opinion um and i i think it was underscored a lot during the dnc that most of what they were saying of what we already talked about of setting the bar so low as to just not be trump is morals and values and American values and American ideals that shouldn't be controversial and they shouldn't be partisan in any way. Um, kind of caring for your neighbor shouldn't be a partisan thing. You're not wearing a mask because it's, it's like an affront to your personal rights. You're wearing it to protect your neighbors. Um, think that that's something that we are voting for in this election is someone who will say it is our duty as Americans to wear a mask during a pandemic. Um, I'm immunocompromised. I have a lot of risk with this pandemic. And mm. people who who say I can go to a bar because it like I'll just get sick for a couple days. It doesn't matter. That's genuinely putting my life and people like me at risk. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very similar in this election. So whether you're voting in the in the presidential or not, it that that is a moral judgment, I believe. Um, and this is my personal opinion on it. And then apart from the presidential, showing up on election day this year or voting early in person or by mail or however you choose to do it, whatever your plan is, which you should have a plan. Um, you're also voting for the 435 seats in the House and the 35 seats in the Senate that are up for re-election. And we need Mitch McConnell to not be the majority leader. We need him to not be there because he has been wreaking havoc happily or as happy as his face will allow um, for years. <laughs> Beauty, man. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> It, 
I mean, there there are already reports from Kentucky, even as early as their primary early this year, that there is voter suppression going on in Kentucky for his seat. Um, they've shut down polling places all they or they had during the primaries um, to keep him in power. And that is a very dangerous thing. So if you do live in Kentucky, I am asking you to please vote against Mitch McConnell. And if you live anywhere in the U.S., I am asking you to please vote because it's not just the presidential. It's also Senate seats. It's also House uh, House representatives. Um and you're voting for so much more, the the Secretary of Education, the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, you're voting for every cabinet position, the Attorney General, like, how much, how much have you hated uh, Bill Barr and what he is doing to the Department of Justice? It, it's just, there's so much more than Joe Biden's politics or Kamala Harris's politics on the line in this election. Um, and I, I, just please vote. <laughs> just please mm-hmm. vote uh, would would be what I am asking. And that is um, my rant. Can I, and I've got my hand up because I want to ask a question. Can I ask a question? Or? Yeah, you can ask a question. Toby, on you go. Um, yeah, so what would you say to, like, accelerationists? Because there, there were so many of them um, in 2016. So, you know um who cares um who wins it's not only is it the the it's about two evils but it's also like if trump wins then maybe there's going to be an acceleration um on the other side and things will get so bad that we're going to have this big reform movement or something like that i mean i it's not uh, an argument that i really um hold or you know i mean to be honest i've I mean, policy. I've even stumped for conservative politicians. Like, but um, it is it is an argument that some people who don't vote, who are politically aware, but don't vote and are alienated from all those institutions, you don't want to vote for down in down ballot races because they think those people are, you know, um, corporate shills too. Like, what what would you say to them? What would you say to sort of the idea that, you know, by having Trump win again, you're just uh, heightening the contradictions in American life? Right. So um, just to clarify, because I've I've gotten a lot of this recently, is is this the argument that if Trump wins again, then people further left will have more support for kind of overthrowing this exactly yeah yeah okay so i think that's a really great question and i'm happy that you asked it um i have two kind of answers to this in in one i think that the momentum for that movement is still happening and we may have a few people drop off um be placated or can content with a biden victory and just be like, oh, well, the Dems are back, everything's back to normal, and it's great. Um, but I think a lot of people have been mobilized, especially this past summer, to be politically active and work towards a, a larger scale change um, in the future. And I do see the argument that it'll be easier to 
either overthrow or have a coup of a Trump presidency than a Biden presidency because there would be more support. There would be more people suffering who would want to see that administration out of power. But there were protests and there was violence and there was a huge rallying cry this past summer for that very thing. Um, and it was it was put down by the the Trump presidency. I, I think we already had a glimpse into what that could look like. And a lot of people are already disheartened by that, um, by the, the, the putting down from the Trump presidency of the movement um, over the summer with BLM and defund the police and all these things. But at the same time, more cities um, and states are looking at the protesters and they're saying, we hear you, like we want to work with you. And a lot of cities around the country, Milwaukee included, um, Portland, Oregon, they're, they're looking at possibilities like was seen in Camden, New Jersey of disbanding the police and rebuilding it in a way that works for the community. And in Camden, New Jersey, it worked very well. It's been about a decade since they did that and they've seen massive improvements in their community by readjusting the criminal justice system in the area. Um, so I think more people are receptive to the movement at the moment. Um, but at the same time, I think people need to kind of look at reality at the moment. Um, and I am with these people. You will read it if you see it on the on the website, my take on this. I'm with people that we need structural changes to the very roots of kind of the historic institutions that we have in the U.S., that things need to change on social and prison and political, cultural levels, um, the criminal justice system, all of them. They need to change. But at the moment, there's a very real threat to a lot of people, um, disabled people, chronically ill people, people of color, women in general, um, but disproportionately women of color. It, it, there, there are these very real threats that are being pressed down on communities because of a Trump's, Trump presidency. And I think if you are of the opinion that voting in Trump will accelerate a revolution, I think you need to talk to people of demographics outside of your own and see what the reality is of them living during a Trump presidency and see if you're willing to vote for more of that immediate harm to their daily lives every time they walk out the door um, for the kind of hope that there will be a future revolution or reform movement when these communities can't really count on a future, let alone the the end of the day, a lot of cases in these other communities. Um, so so I'm I'm with I'm with this community that the reforms need to happen, but I am of the opinion that it is our duty to vote to take away the immediate threat of a Trump administration uh, in November. I think that's a very um, positive message to be leaving the show on. 
I will say that in the next episode we will get Mitch McConnell on to rebuttal all that, but um, uh, no. Uh, we should probably leave that there unless we do actually manage to get Mitch McConnell on now, but I doubt that we'll manage to achieve that. Um, Toby, Vaughn, um, thanks. That was a really interesting episode, and um, Vaughn, I'm really glad that you managed to get that off your chest. Thank you. I, it feels it feels good, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, well, from Toby, Vaughn, and myself, Simon, uh, we'll leave it there. Um, there'll be another episode for you in the near future. And uh, until then, yep, try and keep safe in this uh, odd world that we're living in. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.